This is the panel of those brave souls um, who've done what the journalists have been asking us to do, which is dip their toe in, engage with the media, and hopefully live to tell the tale. Um, I did this one year where there were four scientists invited to come and tell their stories, and they were all nightmares. I thought that was quite bad planning that we've got in order to convince you to engage. Um, but even they, in their concluding remarks, felt that they were pleased that they had engaged and they'd learned something. So hopefully they won't all be nightmare stories. Hopefully they've had some good experiences, uh, but they're going to tell you in less than five minutes each, so very little time. So I will introduce the panel. We have David Ball here, who is an independent hydrogeologist. We have Garth Earls, who is a consulting economic geologist. We have Ian Jackson from One Geology, Executive Secretariat. We have Dr. Deirdre Lewis, who is Technical Director of SLR Consulting Ireland. We have John McCluskey, who has already been mentioned several times, who is Professor of Geophysics at the University of Ulster. And finally, Pat Shannon, Professor of Geology at UCD. So I'm going to take them in that order to tell us their stories. David. Um, I'm, I think somebody referred to as, uh, if you're not a person who comes from an organization as being a, sort of a geologist at a bus stop, um, I don't represent any organization, I don't belong to any firm, I don't have any press officer. Um, I'm a hydrogeologist, and as uh, most people would gather, that's something to do with water and rocks. But it's surprising, actually, that both uh, our own profession and also the media are not really aware of what a hydrogeologist does in terms of the range and extent of the importance and significance of what it is. We've been talking about stories this morning, and, or this, after, this afternoon, earlier on. And, in fact, much of my work is a story. I've spent my time talking to people about something which is a tale. It could be the tale of their septic tank effluent, the importance <laughs> of understanding the soils and the geology which critically affects the way that that septic tank effluent goes down to the ground, moves through the ground, and then perhaps ends up in their borehole, which is adjacent to them. So I'm a working hydrogeologist. I work um, in the field, and uh, I'm continually having to explain my own field to people. In terms of the press, there's been little... I've had little interaction at that level. Uh, there are many occasions in the local press where I could become involved, but it hasn't happened. I have had uh, dealings, though, with the national press, and I've had dealings with uh, radio. I've had dealings with television elsewhere, but not here. I've uh, worked a lot <coughs> abroad, and I was interviewed, for example, in Malaysian television. I've even been on Iranian television, um, where I think I was brought there just for your amusement because I smoked a pipe at the time. And it was found that if you lit a pipe under studio floodlights, this was some time ago, you actually disappeared behind a great white haze <laughs> and people could... <coughs> etc. Uh, so knowing your studio was useful. Um, I've been also in Nigerian television as well. Um, but here uh, I found uh, Dick I'm very grateful to because, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, um, he allowed me to write an article which you basically didn't deduct anything from it at all. And I was very grateful for that because I was careful with what I was writing. But I was writing a story of my findings during Hurricane Katrina as it was actually happening. And um, that was one example. Another example was also a game with the Irish Times where the Irish Times allowed me to write an article um, on my experiences in Somalia and the fact that the nomads in northeastern Somalia were doing very well and they didn't actually need new water, any new water supplies. And uh, so those examples have been good. The, uh, 
work on radio has been with people like News Talk. Um, I haven't been brought on to things like Pat Kenny, but News Talk I found was very good because I was able to sit and talk. And I was working once with Chris Bean. We were talking about, again, things like Katrina and uh, tsunamis and stuff like this and hurricanes and floods and volcanoes. And I found that they were also very good. So I would encourage people in my own profession, obviously, to become involved if they can. I think, though, that on reflection, one of the, the important things is that because we're trying to explain the insidious movement of water underground and the linkages between developments that take place in one part and the impact they may have in another part, because it is hidden underground, I think that for television, my conclusion is that we do need to have strong graphics mm -hmm. and to have money invested in that. So, for example, if you take something like the Kildare Bypass, the Kildare Bypass was drawing down water in one part of the Curra to try and explain how that affected the water levels in Pollestown Fen and desiccated or could have desiccated a snail there and the importance of the snail was something which would be very difficult to do um, uh, just uh, in a studio or um, with a television camera. You need to actually have graphics. I think the final point is that I'm very fortunate uh, uh, that working with water, water is essential for the environment, all components of the environment. Um, I think it's, also, it's obviously essential for all life as well. It's essentially, uh, it's, a, it's a story which is of interest to everybody. So one could, for example, not only talk about septic tanks with people, but one could talk about, for example, graves and graveyards. And one of the problems, the issues we'll deal with is, uh, for example, do you want to put your relatives into a waterlogged grave? Uh, as one woman recently said at a graveyard ceremony, don't put her in, she can't swim. And uh, these are sort of, the, this is the human <coughs> side of our work and the, also the psychological consequences of it. We, I would guess that probably about 20%, 10% of my work is science, 10% is technology and probably 80% of it is dealing with human issues and dealing with people. So I'm very happy to be involved in talking with the press or dealing with uh, the media. We have stories to tell. I think the only thing, my final comment, the only thing is that I think that because everybody has a story to do with water, everybody thinks they understand water, you actually have people writing about water who are repeating the misconceptions or the preconceptions that they have. So, for example, quite responsible elements of the media will, ha will actually give credence to stories about water diviners. And it's rather like giving credence, in my book, it's rather like giving credence to stories about tooth fairies. But... David, can I stop you there? Thank you. Go Okay, thank you, Fiona. I'm <coughs> going to start off with a quote, and I'm going to finish with a quote. And uh, last night I was wishing my daughter night-night, and she's doing a, a GCS, or she's done her first GCSE exam. And it's in religious education, and I asked what was she, uh, what was she studying. And the quote that she was studying was, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Well, that's something I've got wrong so far. <laughs> and I'm fortunate enough to have worked, been around long enough to have worked in consultancies and companies uh, in academia and in government. And I've dealt with the media pretty extensively in all aspects of uh, of those parts of the, the geological discipline. <clears throat> and my first question to you today is, why do we want to communicate with the media? And I've got a series of questions here. Is it for our subject? Is it for our organization? 
Is it for the general public? Is it for ourselves? And is it our job? And I would say if you don't answer yes to all of those, you're not the person to be communicating with the media. Because unless you can do it for your subject, for yourself, for your organization with enthusiasm, you're probably the wrong person to be doing it. So that's the first thing I would say. I'm going to review very quickly what the media strategy was of the Geological Survey of Northern Ireland whenever I was there uh, between 2002 and 2010. And our mission was to increase the awareness of geoscience in Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland geology in a wider sphere. And there were three strands to that, nothing rocket science. There was short-term, medium-term, and long-term. The medium-term was immediate. Sorry, the short-term was immediate. The medium-term was months to years, and the long-term was years. So... What was our target audience? Well, about four areas. Because we're a government-sponsored body, about 60% of our effort was devoted to Northern Ireland government, especially ministers and civil servants, primarily to involve policy, to inform policy. About 15% of our media strategy was directed towards the island of Ireland, especially working with with GSI uh, and bodies like the Royal Irish Academy. About 15% of our time was spent working in the wider UK, uh, capitalising on our linkages with the British Geological Survey. And about 10% of our time was probably international in that we were producing books that were of value, perhaps to tourists and things like that. And one result of this strategy was that GSNI, certainly in government, and probably wider, became seen as the go-to organization, uh, certainly for information, and also on behalf of government, to spend any underspend that there was at the end of the year in government. We were known as good spenders. So communication fundamentally was able to increase our budget. So there's one very good reason for it. The other thing was that we had to to become an outward-facing organization. And part of the reason for that was there was no organization representing geology in Northern Ireland at all. The university department had closed, but then again, it had never really promoted geology. It was too outward-facing. And magazine ES2K, Earth Science Analysis, now also grew out of that event. And... Whenever we then decided to become more outward-facing, how did we do it? Well, we were fortunate enough to be working with a dedicated PR company on the TELUS project, uh, and we have much of our effort to thank them for uh, the steer they gave us. But we also had civil service and ministers that liked geology. Big help. So our short-term objective was to keep the organization in the forefront of media opportunities, which we did. And... Mike McKim has already alluded to part of that, but you know we need to know what the media wants, and we need to know what the correspondent will write or uh, publish for you. And I used to meet with Mike two or three times a year, and we used to set an agenda as to what we, what we thought would be covered. And he would say, that's good, that's crap. Or it was as blunt as that. And we developed a series of programs two-minute two slots on the news that went out, I think, probably in two or three years over the summer period uh, to ensure coverage. And they were quite successful. We also devised other mainstream projects that he would cover. And we did that with other journalists as well, but Mike was the primary conduit for our message getting out into the wider Northern Ireland community. Uh, the medium-term objective was to work with interested groups to promote geoscience, to engage with schools doing science and, God forbid, even geography. Uh, and we did that primarily through a series of public lectures using high-profile figures like Ian Stewart's been mentioned, Richard Forty, former uh, president of the Geological Society, and John McCluskey also. 
The long-term strategy was to provide information in an accessible and uh, to a wide range of stakeholders. So again, that was building the audience with the schools and the general public, just to build that overall awareness base. And we published things were both highbrow for students coming into Northern Ireland, where they could do field trips or whatever. The regional guide to the geology of the north is one thing, and there'd be more popular information. But what I would say is that even despite all the, the effort and work put into that, probably the thing that gets the most attention the geology in Belfast certainly is the finger post on the Stramalis Road that has the words geological survey on it. And about 5,000 people go past that every day in the car and they see the words geological survey every morning on their way in and on their way home. I'll finish with a quote. If you're ever stuck for a, a science quote, Carl Sagan's one of the, the people to go to. Very definitely. I mean, I remember Sagan speaking at the Royal Institution Christmas lectures uh, as a kid, and he was utterly inspirational. And Sagan said, science I maintain is an absolutely essential tool for any society with a, with a hope of surviving well into the next century, with its fundamental values intact. Not just science is engaged by its practitioners, but science understood and embraced by the entire human community. And if scientists will not bring this about, who will? Ian, thank you. Okay, thanks. There's no such thing as death by PowerPoint, only, those, <laughs> only being killed by those who present, so I'm to blame. Right. Um, may I first of all thank Mary Callan, though, for in, the invitation and also for the way I'm turned out. She took over from my mother in ensuring <laughs> in front of the press I have a clean shirt and my tie finishes in the middle of my belt. <laughs> Uh, I'd also like to make a contribution for the new mission statement to BGS, Clive. I'd like to say, making the earth move for you. <laughs> um, I totally agree with Mike uh, about making geology sexy, and I've recently had the pleasure of working with uh, the BBC on Great British Countryside and with Richard Hammond on his journey to the centre of the planet, and I can think of nothing better than Julia Bradbury, sexy in, its own, in her own right, and Hugh Dennis for the others in the audience, explain an anticline by using a ham and cheese sandwich and the last of the summer wine country by using rich tea and bourbon biscuits. Now, when you can do that, you've got a BBC One audience. Okay, very quickly, to put you on the same page, I'm not going to bore you about one geology, but you probably know about it. We're trying to put map data up on the web. It was initiated in 2006. It's good at liberating science for the benefit of society, and it's 117 surveys. What did we want to do? Make data that wasn't in digital format, that was locked away in Garth's cupboard and other places in the world, available for everybody else. Transfer know-how to those who needed it. Adopted an approach that not everybody could come to the party with a, an Irish single malt. The Australians would have to come with a batter tin of Foster's, but we let them in anyway. Stimulate data sharing and stimulate scientific continuity. 117 services, 138 organisations, 250 data services, and we didn't have any of this in 2007. That's what it looks like if you go to the portal. But this is what it did in communication terms. 750 articles worldwide in a month. One month in 2008, I think it was. Now, my boss was thrilled that we got into nature. I was thrilled that we got on the BBC. 
in Der Spiegel, the Stamper, all around the world. And it was from that point on I understood how parasitic the rest of the world was on Reuters, Associated Press, and the BBC. If it was in there, then it was newsworthy. If it was in there, then it was trusted. And it was literally taken around the world and simply translated. So what lessons did we learn? First of all, if you've got a science project, however big, however small, argue for some of it to be retained for communication. You won't, because you're scientists. You'll keep it for your science and in the lab. But a good story, never told, should never be written. Do all of the things that Clive said, that the other speakers have said. Listen to the guidance. Do it right. Prepare. There's enough out there. Don't underestimate how much you know and how much you don't know about what the man in the bar doesn't understand about you. Actually, he doesn't damn well care. He certainly doesn't care about Felspass. He doesn't care if a rock is a stone. Absolutely not. You're there to inform, but you won't inform unless you excite and you entertain. You're not so grand that you can't do that. You're not so grand that you can't do it with a joke, with a metaphor. Remember that you have to personalize your experience. If you're working on something very specific and very focused, personalize it for that local community. If you're working on something global, make sure that outreach extends to them all. Think very, very carefully about what you call your project. TELUS is a great example. I think One Geology is a great example. It wasn't my idea, so it would be a great example. It says exactly on the lid what's in the box. How many European and academic projects have you seen as acronyms that do not explain themselves, let alone the strapline? Great graphics are not just eye candy. That made sure one geology got into the world's press. That image alone. That image alone allowed me to go on radio and TV and be asked the question, so are the rocks under the Atlantic really that color? Uh, Why are you laughing? That was from a reasonable journalist, a highly educated man. Are those rocks really that color? Explain, why are they that color? Why don't we color them up as the color of the rocks? You and I know they're that color because William Smith ran out of paint at the end of the chalk and it had to be green here's a quote from a guy that's pretty local to you and I think it's apposite, thank you thank you Deirdre okay thank you very much can you all hear me, I feel very small here behind this table, designed for men I believe (laughs) Um, I, I was actually going to take a different, slightly different tack and just give you some sense of my experience with the press over the years. And I, my very first encounter was years ago. I was a very young geologist, just I was doing postgrad, and I was invited. There was a snowstorm in Dublin, and I think they couldn't get anybody else. So they invited me, who was walking, uh, to go to RTE to review atlases. 
and the hook was you got free copies of the four atlases. So I readily agreed to do so, even though I wasn't a geographer. But I prepared very well. I got these, these free copies and I um, went along and I was all full of the cartography and how the information was being imparted and all sorts of stuff. What I wasn't prepared for at all was my co-panelists. Because when I got there, there was me with all my lovely science and the sort of more geoscience. But the other guys who were on the panel, they were seasoned journalists talking. It was a book program. And they sort of hijacked my slot and started talking all about the atlases and they love to go to bed with these things and they dream about the places <laughs> they can travel. So I was, I was completely overridden by them, if you like. And it was a real lesson to me that you must prepare well and you have to know who are you going to talk to, who are you going to be talking with, and who are the other panellists. So that was lesson number one. Um, sometime many moons later, uh, this was on a different medium. This was with radio. And uh, there's a very good scientist <coughs> here in Ireland, Mary Mulvihill. Some of you might be familiar with Mary. And myself and, in fact, Dr. Pat O'Connor here in the front seat, we were invited to go on the Goldilocks panel, um, planet. It was a, a series of radio programs about the evolution of the planet and various conundrums and sort of mysteries in the earth. And Pat and I were to talk about the geological evolution of Ireland. And we went out on site, we went up to Clara Head, and we spoke relatively knowledgeably about um, how Ireland came to where it is, the Aptos suture and so on, in fairly simple language. And we got, I think, very good feedback, or certainly I got very good feedback from people all around the country who just happened to hear that. And I think radio, and sometimes maybe it's an undersold medium for communication of science, but my experience of it was actually quite positive, and because the interviewer, she knew her stuff, she's a scientist, and so she was able to ask the right questions so we could phrase fairly right answers, if you like. Um, my next experience was back to television. I'm a bit of a TV star. Uh, this was with another colleague here. Garth and I were invited to go on a BBC. It was a, an independent production for the BBC called Mysteries in the Landscape. It was a wonderful series done by uh, Professor Aubrey Manning from Edinburgh. And it was basically looking at things that couldn't be explained. And in the Irish context, it was the museums are full of gold. So where did all the gold come from, all our artifacts? And, of course, we've never seriously um, or fully understood this. So Garth and I went off to Croke Patrick, and then we went to the Spurin Mountains, and we were filmed out there waving nicely and explaining rocks and how gold got into quartz veins and big false systems and ore genesis, and it was all fabulous. What I didn't realize was the power of that medium. Uh, you never really know when you're on those things. You never really know how you're doing. <clears throat> to this day, that was, I think, around 2003 or four, perhaps. To this day, people come up to me and say, I saw you on the television last night, and it was to do with, it's been sold on to the Open University. It's been sold on to some of the like BBC World Service has shown it, so it's picked up elsewhere. And it's still shown to this day. So we mustn't have done too bad a job, Carl. <laughs> but it's, it's, again, the power of the medium, and because it was done with brilliant <coughs> graphics, which was nothing to do with us, but um, the visuals, and I was interested, was it Clive or somebody this morning, earlier on, showed that 54% of people get their science information from television. And I think it's a lot to do with the graphics and the way complex issues can be simplified through clever graphics. And, and again, exemplified there by the one geology map. Um, finally, I'm, I just want to say on a, on a sort of a more softer element, 
I had the great pleasure uh, about two years ago to work with Louth's Peace Partnership, and this was on um, a North-South peace building program called Shared Heritage. And one element of that was to do with uh, the landscape, that the landscape is a shared heritage, and people from north and south of the border, from all different sides of the community, have to live and physically share that space. So this was sort of taking geology and quite complex things and bringing it to an audience of totally non-scientists and often from very conflicted communities. And I'm delighted to see um, Brendan McSherry here today. Brendan is the uh, heritage officer with Louth County Council and is also a geologist. But on the first field trip we ran using local radio uh, as the medium to reach people uh, both north and south of the border. The first field trip with 12 people. By the end of the year, we ran a series of these things. We were having like 70 people, 75 people showing up to go out and go on these field trips. And we were actually followed by local radio in Uri and seeing how we were getting on each subsequent couple of months, how the program was going and how many more people were joining the program. And again, radio can be so powerful, particularly in reaching just local people when you're talking about their space and their physical locality. So... I was going to finish there, but I'll very quickly, Madam Chairman, if you don't mind, um, answering Clive's question. Uh, today I attempted to cycle in to come here, and it started to rain, and I thought I'll get all my wonderful hairdo will be spoiled. So I jumped into a taxi, and uh, the taxi driver, I was sort of saying to him, you hurry up, I was late, and I said to him, <laughs> uh, he says, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I'm a geologist. And he said, oh, sort of, what's that? So I said, well, I'm a mineral exploration geologist, and I, you know, we explore for minerals, gold, copper, zinc, and Ireland is a great zinc producer, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, and then we got into a big conversation all about the price of gold, recycled metals, and what people are doing. <clears throat> so it was just very interesting, and I did do it probably in 30 seconds, Clive, so it worked. But <laughs> if you relate to people in the language that they understand, it is very effective. Great. Thank you very much. John? Um, I can't remember the last time I tried to give a presentation without PowerPoint. I'm sorry about this. I also started out with some very clear bullet points to just talk to, and I've been scribbling them over them since we started at lunchtime. So this will probably be somewhat disjointed, but um, you can ask me some questions later in the discussion or, or over wine, preferably. Um, I didn't plan to do any media work, so it's interesting to end up in this position where I'm talking to people about doing media work. Um, and I think I came to this purely as a research scientist who happened to do something that the media were interested in. Um, most of you know this, I'm sure, but some people don't, so it's probably worth just telling how this started. There was an earthquake in... I'm an earthquake scientist, and there was an earthquake in Sumatra in 2004. You mostly probably have heard of that. Um, and we published a paper in Nature saying that that was likely to cause another earthquake. Um, and obviously, because of the devastation from the 2004 earthquake, people were really interested in that. So I did a lot of interviews, and our press office were great. Um, you have to work with a press office, but in general, they're, they're very good. Um, fortunately, or unfortunately, for me it was unfortunate. For the people in Sumatra, it was even more unfortunate. Eleven days after our paper came out, the earthquake happened, um, which was caused an international media storm. And um, one of my PhD students came into my office a few days after that, um, after I had done hundreds of interviews all over the world, and said, 
Put Ulster and earthquake, two things you wouldn't really put together naturally, certainly not our scientists, into Google when you get 50,000 hits. So this was absolutely an amazing, um, uh, an amazing story that exploded. For my sins, I'm now working on fracking. Um, so it's earthquakes induced by squeezing fluids into the ground. We started working on carbon capture and storage implications of, for seismicity. And now this has become very important. I, um, I'll come back to this just at the, in my, the conclusion of what I'm going to say because I think it's quite important. I don't intend to do any media work on fracking, and I'm interested to hear people talking about it at the minute, and I'll come back to that. Um, working with the media, for me, has been a roller coaster. It's really scary at times. When I started particularly, it was really scary. Um, there are really conflicting agendas and I really enjoyed Fiona's kickoff to this this morning, where she said there, you know, there are really extreme differences in philosophy and the way we go about things um, that people really need to be aware of before they launch into this time. You can't launch into this without really thinking about what, what, your, what your message is and what you're trying to say. We're interested in uncertainty. That's what science is about. It's about getting things wrong. And, and finding ways in which we can show that our sacred cows are up for butchery. You know, this is how science works. Um, I think it was David this morning who used the two words certainty and immediacy. That's not science. So there's fundamental tensions. We want to underline all the uncertainties, particularly if you're dealing with things like earthquakes. You know, we have to be very careful because they're very emotive subjects and a lot of the science we deal with Fracking is a good example, is, is very emotive. So that's a real challenge for us. Um, your colleagues read every word. They don't. They, they try and deny that. They say, no, I wouldn't read anything like that. They read every word. And where you overstep the boundaries, you find out that they read every word because every time you do it, it's brought up at the, in the, at, over coffee. Um, and it's a real challenge, so you need to be careful. Um, the media have... Clearly different aims. There's, there are economic agendas. There are a whole lot of um, agendas that have nothing to do with this. The, certainly the agendas of a research scientist who's only interested in trying to publish in the best journals, contribute to, to new and exciting science. And for anyone to say that there is a zero possibility that engaging with the media loosely will have an impact on your ability to publish in Nature the following week is very naive. So... This is a really important thing. If you want to publish in the top journals, you must take your media work a lot more seriously than anybody who's doing for a, for a different reason. So these are the challenges, that, a few of the challenges at least that I, I've experienced. But, you know, I find the whole thing really interesting, exciting. My experience with most of the journalists I've worked with have, has been absolutely excellent. People like Mark Henderson in the Times. He is able to take the complex stories, and I'm not good at getting the level right. I always go over the top of it. But Mark was able, and, and many others, including Dick, um, are able to t listen to me spouting stuff for, for long periods of time, and then they write a story that goes right to the heart of it, and I often wish that I was able to communicate like that. So getting to know the journalists is really important, getting to, to engage with them, talk to them. Um, you know, I, don't, I hate the idea of trying to communicate my ideas in 30 seconds. I'm not interested, because there's nothing I can contribute in a Twitter line 
that anybody, that somebody else who's good at Twitter couldn't do better than me. So I think my expertise is different. Murray asked me to, um, oh, by the way, this is really not an option for us. The public pay for what we do. They deserve to know what we do. So I think that, that it's not an optional add-on. It's a fundamental part of a, of a research scientist's work within a, the, the, the society that we live in. Murray asked me for top tips. I'll just run through the, the, the thoughts I had on that. Publish in nature before you talk to the press. You know, that gives you the, the, the kudos. The, it gives you the credibility to deal with this. And it also removes the responsibility from you. That's a really important thing. If you've published the stuff with, with uh, it having been rigorously reviewed by your peers, then it's not just your responsibility if it's wrong. And remember, it always is wrong at, at whatever level. Um, be prepared. You know, the more work you put into this, the more you'll get out of it, the more the press will get out of it and more the public will get out of it. It's really vital. You need to know what your aims are and who your audience is. You need to know what your main points are. So what is it that you you really want to get out of that interview? Vital. But almost at least as vital is what is it, what's your red line? What is it that you're not prepared to say? Because in conversation, it's easy to walk over that line if you're not prepared properly for it. Know your limits, you know. Don't oversell what your, your science. There are things that we know and there are things that we don't know. I don't want to sound like a famous American politician here, but <laughs> the, the knows, don't knows and the known unknowns, you need to thought all of that stuff out because it will come out in, in conversation. And while my experience with journalists has been uniformly good, almost you know, one, one bad experience, um, you, that is not guaranteed. And finally, you know, I think that speculation is a good thing. It's, it's interesting. Some of the, the, the interesting things that, that scientists have to say do fall into the, the realm of speculation. Make sure that you understand that you're speculating and make sure that you're, the people you're talking to understand your speculation, uh, speculating. And for all of this, I find that, you know, a press release with a few bullet points can lay the, the groundwork in a way that people can't misunderstand in retrospect. Okay, thanks. Brilliant, thank you. Pat? Um, thanks, uh, Fiona. Um, in, in my experience of, of dealing with the media, as, as geoscientists, we, we um, generally interact in, in, in one of two ways. One, we're either evangelists, where we're selling our, our subject, or two, we're boffins, where we're typically reacting to some, some news event. Um, it could be uh, oil or gas exploration. Uh, it could be uh, oil pollution uh, it could be licensing terms, it could be uh, hydraulic fracking. And I think the way in which we react to, to those, whether we're uh, evangelizing or whether we're uh, the scientist in the lab, the, the way in which we prepare for that uh, is, is really quite different. <coughs> and I'll just talk about a couple of examples of, of both of those. Um, and in both instances, I think you, you certainly need to prepare. Um, typically, when we're reacting to a, to a news uh, item, things happen very quickly. So you get a phone call, uh, and uh, it's somebody wanting a reaction. And you can do one of a number of things. Uh, you can say, I'll ring you back, which gives you a little bit of time to prepare, uh, or you can uh, talk there and then. If you talk there and then, um, my advice is to be extremely careful and never sit down. 
Um, <laughs> I would never give a radio interview or uh, an interview uh, on the telephone when I'm sitting down. If you sit down, you're comfortable. And once you're comfortable, it's very, very easy to say things. Once you've said something, you can never unsay it. So you could, for example, be talking about green energy. And in Ireland, we have tremendous geothermal potential. Oh, how do you get that out of the ground? Well, this is hot water. Uh, and it's down in the ground. And so what you do uh, is you pump other water in under pressure. You, you frack the, the rocks. And then you realize you've done it. Because <laughs> what you've done is you've brought fracking and, and green together. So you're dead in the water. So if you stand up, then, then you're prepared. The other thing I, I would generally do is I would repeat elements of the question. It buys you a little bit of time. And it makes it absolutely clear if you understand uh, what uh, the <coughs> journalist is asking. So I think the, those, uh, the reacting on the, uh, the telephone is something where, where you need to be very, very careful. Uh, and if you say something, it can't be unsaid. Uh, another example, and, and uh, uh, Gareth talked about prime time. Uh, I was involved in a prime time program just a few months ago. And at the end of the, the preparation, it took quite a bit of time to, to put the whole thing together. I appeared on it for about a minute or so. Uh, and it's very interesting. These things, again, happen very quickly. The journalist uh, rings up and says, um, I'm presenting this. Um, it's, can I come out and see you at 2 o'clock today? Um, and it's going to be broadcast tomorrow, provided uh, the bottom doesn't fall out of the currency market or something else, in which case the whole thing can be completely shelved and is gone. Um, and I think one of the key things to ask is, what's the angle of the program? And I, I asked in, in this particular case, and it was on licensing terms and exploration offshore, what's the angle? And uh, I was told the angle is, uh, really, we want to get both sides. And invariably, when you have something like that, you know that you're going to be typecast in a particular mode, because there is going to be uh, the ordinary man in the street who's standing there perhaps looking out to sea. Uh, there's going to be uh, the American oil man uh, in uh, an expensive, luxurious suit uh, and office. This is the, the bad guy. Um, <laughs> there is probably going to be an economist with books at the background, and there's going to be a boffin in a dark room. And I was the boffin in the dark room. Um, but I was, I was reassured that this would be fair, uh, and I think it was. And what I said at the outset is, I'm not an economist. I'm a geologist. Uh, I'll talk about oil and gas exploration, I'll talk about production, uh, I'll talk about licensing terms, uh, I'll talk about technology, etc. I won't get into economics or I won't get into to politics, and that was fine. Um, and the next thing they wanted to, to know is, where were we going to film it? Uh, can you send us some photographs? So I sent a photograph of, I have a nice airy office, and I thought that would be it. Um, but they didn't like that. And we have an absolutely ghastly lab, a dark lab, where we happen to have some core laid out in the summer. This is fantastic. Uh, so the guys arrived, and I was given a particularly low chair, um, just like Deirdre mentioned. <coughs> Originally, I had a nice chair that I was sitting on. No, you're in the wrong place. You have to be down in a hole. <laughs> but what can you do? You're there. Um, but when they arrived, uh, what I said is, how long have you got? And they had an hour and a half. And I said, right, can we just talk about what this is about, first of all, oil and gas exploration? Um, and I showed them some maps, and I showed them the core. Now, the core was confidential. So one of the key things I had to say is, uh, and each core box had the name of the company on it and the logo. So I had to put a piece of paper in front of each one so that when they, and go to where the camera was to make sure that they could see the core, but they couldn't see the logo of the company. 
Um, so that was fine. They had the setting. Uh, and then uh, the questions were actually fair and square. And there were one or two answers where I thought I did a really good job. And they said, no, you have to do that again. Why? And I said, I can't do it again. Uh, because I asked you about comparing uh, the prospectivity west of Ireland with Canada. I said, I told you what the, the comparison was. But you didn't mention the west of Ireland compared to Canada. So one of the key messages always is repeat part of the question. So in comparing uh, the Irish offshore with the Canadian such and such. Um, and that's an, there's an element of protection in that because it means it can't be taken out of context. Um, so uh, they, they always like a, an element of that repetition. The other thing which is, and various uh, people have mentioned it previously, is it's always very useful to have analogues because if you're essentially grey and don't give anything exciting or don't give anything which is contentious, then it probably won't get broadcast. But um, you can say things like, well, exploring is a risky business. Now, they'll, they'll brush over that. But <coughs> if you say exploring is a risky business, uh, it's a little bit like uh, betting on the Grand National. We all bet on the Grand National. But the one difference is, in the Grand National, it's unlikely that every horse will fail. The chances are there will be some winner. In oil and gas exploration, there may not be. The winner may be down at Haydock rather than somewhere else. So we may not win in this area. And that's the sort of thing that tends to get picked up. So what I would say in general is uh, ask the questions, prepare, and certainly know your limits. Uh, Keep it you, short and simple Pat, and analogue. Can you wind up? And I'll wind, I'll wind up with one example. Um, a, number of exam a number of years ago, um, I ran an event. And this was an event that ended up with a quarter of a page in the Irish Times and one of the quotes of the week. And it talked about oil and gas exploration, mineral exploration, um, water, and uh, the shortage of water, um, and uh, mining. And that conference um, I organized um, in 1974. I was 21 years of age at that stage. Um, and the message there is you're never too young to get involved with the media. And you can get involved in the media if you offer them drink. We had, we had an event <laughs> spon sponsored jointly by Guinness and Jemison. And I prepared a three-page handout which had quotes. So I said, come along, have some drink. There's your work done for you. All we need is a photographer. And everything appeared. Um, and we were really proud. And we got the message across. So you're never too young to start. Take home message. Right, OK, now we've only got 10 minutes for questions. But that's quite deliberate with this session because... Um, we we want to get so many scientists talking about different experiences, so I hope you don't mind that. Um, I'm going to take this gentleman here, that gentleman. I'm not going to ask you to all come back, so I'm going to take two or three questions, then you can answer which ones you want, and then we're going to have to wind up. So, gentleman here. Uh, Sean Finlay, Tobin Consulting Engineers. Uh, my 10-second uh, intro on what we do is... Um, we design and deliver critical infrastructure, uh, things like um, power lines, motorways, wastewater treatment plants, water abstraction, uh, all the things that everybody wants but not necessarily near them. Um, it's, uh, it's a very fraught area, and at its core and at the core of today's proceedings is public understanding of science and technology. And uh, there's a lot of very heartening examples uh, from BGS and from One Geology and so on as to how we're trying to deal with that. 
But I, I don't really have a question, but I do have a proposal. And the proposal is to the universities um, because engineers and scientists um, are going to have to deal more and more with public engagement trying to persuade people about the safety of things and about the necessity of critical infrastructure. And as far as I'm aware, they, they don't get any training whatsoever in engagement with uh, the public, with stakeholders, or with the media. Public understanding of science and technology has to be a, a two-pronged thing. The scientists have to try and explain what it is they're doing. Uh, but they, to do that, they have to engage uh, with the media and with various elements of it. And just to close on this, and, and, and this is Pat Shannon's line, not mine, what, what scientists tend to do when, they, when they're getting bad press or where they're, not, where they're not explaining themselves properly is to have a conference of perhaps 200 or 250 other scientists and bitch and moan about the media not understanding them instead of trying to deal with the media. Um, I think uh, one man said that his paper circulates 70 million. You know, um, th that would obviously be much more useful. Uh, finally, I had to smile when Gareth was complaining about uh, that he, he hit the cutting room floor with his um, interview about fracking. Um, I did an interview about 20 years ago, um, or, or a, a debate on radio, with the then president of the Irish National Trust, Emer Colloran, and I asked the interviewer afterwards, were you happy with that? That seemed to be quite well balanced, I said. And he said, it was excruciatingly well-balanced and extremely boring. So I thought there's a win. <laughs> yes, of course, we, we should pick up the fact that if you want to not be in the programme, you should also be well-balanced. Good, good point. Um, there was a hand at the back. Where was it? Yes, gentleman there. Was there any other hands? Yeah. Uh, Connor Ryan, Tulloil. Uh, I suppose my question is best directed towards you, Pat. Um, I suppose given the damage that's been done to Ireland's reputation as a place to explore, um, primarily from the carb fiasco and the, the brewing furor around uh, shale gas exploration in the carboniferous um, and drilling in the, in the Kish Bank, whatever, um, do you think academics as probably the more academic petroleum geologists as the more trusted um, flavour of petroleum geologists out there can do more to kind of spread public understanding of the issues and perhaps more importantly the non-issues surrounding these matters. Pat, can I ask you to hold that just for a minute? Do you mind? Um, the woman in front. Uh, another one for Pat. Um, uh, I'm with Met Erin, and I'd just like to say to Pat, uh, that was excellent, but you can always say no. And I've learned to say no over the last number of years when you know, you're trying to be put in situations. Myself with the meteor meteorological office holding mm -hmm. funny umbrellas and wearing funny Wellington boots, just say, no, I'd rather not be photographed like that. So, thanks. <laughs> uh, any other final questions, points? Okay, does the panel want to come back on some of those? Pat, you start. Okay, ju just coming back on that, um, uh, and I'll take the two of those together. Um, if, if we say no, then, in fact, what we're doing is uh, we're losing an opportunity, I think, um, uh, the, the saying no to sitting on the low seat. The other option was to stand in the rain down at John Rogerson's Quay, and I think I prefer to stay um, in, in the, the dingy office. But uh, I, I think we do, as, as academics, um, need to pick our battles. And I think one of the, one of the problems is that uh, in, we, we should perhaps say no occasionally. Um, 
if as academics we stand up and we talk at every single opportunity, in many instances we can't win. So I think it, we need to be strategic. And I think the people to influence are not so much the... Um, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going to describe some of the individuals that I said. There are certain people that we probably, there isn't any way in which we can, we can win a battle. We can win a battle with the legislators. We can win a battle with the politicians. And I think these are the people that we need to target. And I think events like this, or specifically tailored events like this, uh, to point out what the science is and using, uh, as was mentioned in, in the previous talk earlier, the fact that scientists generally tend to be uh, well-respected. I think we can, we can use that to present clear and cold facts. But I think rather than stand up and talk to every Tom, Dick and Harry, we need to select the audience. But I think we do have a role to play, and I think we probably haven't been doing that as successfully um, as we could. And I think we need to stand up and say things like, in the national interest, it is important that something uh, is done. Uh, and it's more important that 99% of the people uh, get what... Um, uh, we, we, we need rather than 0.1 of a percent uh, who get their way. Okay, I'm going to come down uh, the table if any of you want to add something. John, did I hear you saying that you're, you're not going to speak on fracking? What I said... Or do I need to wash my did I What that? I said, and I want to be precise on this, um, I'm interested in a lot of the comments that I've read in the press on fracking. I'm not sure that our research would support some of the things that I've heard. Um, but one of my main rules when I'm dealing with the press is make sure I know what I'm talking about first. Mm -hmm. And this is work in progress, so I don't feel qualified to talk about it yet. But you will do at some stage. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it is really important that we do engage with issues like that. Okay. But, you know, it has to be from a position of real it's understanding of the problem. Yeah. And we don't have that yet, in my view. Okay. Deirdre? Uh, yeah, I agree. We should be engaging, but I, I found, um, you know, working in mineral exploration primarily, but also uh, some of my colleagues work in the area of energy exploration, renewable energies, you know, contentious things like Sean mentioned, um, wind farms or infrastructure projects, landfills, you know, nobody wants these on their back doorstep. However, Working in the private sector, sometimes you're constrained about engaging with the media because you're dealing with confidential, and certainly in our case, they're um, client confidential information. Like Pat mentioned, you've got to cover over the core boxes. You don't show what people are doing. Um, but there are ways we can engage, um, you know, maybe through doing school talks or, you know, things like that, just simple ways to engage with the community. Sitting with people in their kitchens when you're out doing your mineral exploration uh, you can actually have a much more uh, balanced discussion than when you're getting out and there's some journalist trying to make you say something you don't really want to say. Um, but it is so important that we engage, and that's why I, I suppose I'm quite passionate about the whole area of public outreach. And we need to be doing a lot more of it. We need to be organising ourselves. And um, I'm sort of thinking out loud now here, we've recently formed the Irish Geoscience Network, which was loosely established earlier this year and we're, we're just sort of coming together and forming you know what it is we want to do but certainly this is an area we could look at and I see Mary nodding you know the whole area of um, sort of science uh, media centre that type of an approach maybe at a more a lesser scale than what you're doing mm -hmm. because we wouldn't have the same resources behind it but we certainly need to be engaging there's no, there's no way we, in order to continue conducting applied science anyway and out there doing <coughs> 
infrastructure projects, um, be it fracking, be it mineral exploration, we need to be doing this work. Thank you. Ian? Oh, well, I couldn't agree more with the, the gentleman who talked about public understanding of science. I think uh, there are a lot of those programs that should be turned on the head. There should be scientists who understand the public programs, <coughs> put it that way. But I, my experience of, um, should we say no, my, I, my experience is the presumption is we should pretty well always say yes, because the opportunity that it gives um, to talk about your science in a general term, even if you don't want to, to, to discuss the particular colored wellingtons or, or, or the umbrella, uh, just going, putting Wandology out, um, we got 29 million visits to the website in a month. Um, that, that converted one G8 country who was reluctant to join this international enterprise to do it because they got over 10,000 emails saying, why is my country white? Um, and, uh, and the other was, was sometimes you got onto TV and radio and they very quickly moved on in the interview to say, well, well, could you tell me about the relevance of geology? So I ended up talking about the benefits to health, wealth, and the environment. And, and, and that, to I can't remember, Mary probably calculated, but it was in the hundreds of millions of people by the time we'd finished our outreach. And, and I'm sorry, I just think the numbers there speak for themselves. Uh, just to respond to Sean in terms of uh, the university stuff, there's an increasing amount of universities, certainly in England, that are running as part of their science courses communications uh, as part of the, uh, the, sem uh, the semesters that you can choose. And I mean, figures I have here uh, suggest that some of those are taken up by 20, 25% of students doing, doing science courses. That's for the University of Kent. Uh, and I can't help wondering, and maybe this is a, you know, slightly aside, is that, is that because it's easier to do a communications course about science than it is to do a mainstream science course. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing because actually in many ways some of the best communication, science communication, comes from people that don't know the highbrow stuff. That they're, they're speaking in everyday words because they don't know the, the big words. So there, there could be an aspect of that as well. A uh, couple of things just in terms of, of, of the mining industry again. One of, one of the best videos I've ever seen was one produced several years ago by Tara Mines where they deconstructed a house. I mean, the old mining eagle, we all know it is. If it can't be growing, you have to mine it. And they started off with a house, and I can't remember, it was with an RTE presenter. Uh, and they deconstructed the house. And there was nothing left at the end of the day, apart in the kitchen, apart from the door frame and the door. And then they took the hinges off. <laughs> Uh, and that's a very, very powerful message to get across. And I was worried whenever David got the Times out today, but the bit that I saw on the Times wasn't a nuclear bit. This is a two-page two advert in today's London Times. And it's by Rio Tinto, and it's from mine to metal, because Rio Tinto are providing the metals for guessware in London. And, you know, that's been paid for by the company, and it's a PR issue. But, I mean, what an impact that will make in the paper today, from mine to metal. And there's, there's miles in that for journalists, I would suggest. David? I think my last comment is prompted by the reference to the negative press of uh, relating to the hydrocarbon potential of Ireland, and you mentioned Corrib. And it made me realize that I think it's important for my own field and also for geosciences as a whole to actually... Uh, 
recognize that we're not just specialist scientists, we're not just specialists, we actually are interfaced with and work in a whole lot of other areas, so for example in relation to planning or in relation to environmental issues or whatever it may be. We're using our science, many of us, uh, because we're applied scientists, to deal with the issues, to do with people, to do with the environment, to do with planning, to do with uh, a whole lot of, the, sort of important issues, and we should not be afraid to actually talk about our science within that context and bring those contexts, those issues, into our own science. So that's really my sort of final point. Thank you. A um, couple of comments from me, just very briefly. Um, one, I think, one of the things that's come up for me today is please praise your colleagues when they do national news media. It's a scary thing, it's a brave thing, and they shouldn't be saying to John McCluskey over coffee that he got something wrong, it, it really. So please do that. If you see any of your colleagues in the media, drop them an email and say, well done. And if you hear someone bitching about them, say, you know, that, that person was good to do that. Secondly, I think that the point about public engagement versus media engagement, I think, you know, the truth is, and we've heard this today from David and others, the news media is the least best way to get your science across. Of course it is. You know, it's 300 words. It's got a horrible, inaccurate heading by the sub-editor. You know, it's got the spin of the political agenda of the newspaper editor. It, of course it's got all these constraints. If you can do, speak to 500 six-formers, if you can go and do a science festival and have one hour to communicate, that's fantastic. But you ignore it at your peril. I think mm. that's what we're saying. We need to do great public engagement. We need all these societies to get into education. But you ignore it at your peril. Tom started today with these you know, amazing statistics, still the vast majority of ordinary people are getting their science from television, radio, and newspapers. So, so it's never going to be perfect. You're not going to love it, but it's the way. And, and finally, I just think, um, echoing Ian's point, I really believe in this, about science in the headlines being an opportunity as well as a threat. When I speak to people about 10 years ago in Frankencrops, they, they just cannot believe it when I say that. They could not see... Um, GM crops on the front page of the Daily Mirror as anything but a threat. It, it, they were bewildered, they didn't know what to do, they'd never done it before, they were being called on to go on Radio 5 Live with Greenpeace. They hated every aspect. But actually, it was front page news, and they could talk about this new technology, and they missed that opportunity, and as a result, the public said no to GM crops, we still don't have them. Um, and I think you have to see, as you were saying, Ian, that the, 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 the move on in Fukushima, people said, I learned more about radiation in that three weeks than I have ever known, because the SMC and others were putting hundreds of radiation experts out. Those headlines were horrible, the framing was horrible, another Chernobyl, sensational, terrifying, but millions of people heard from radiation experts. You know, so it's a real opportunity. Um, can I just say, what a great panel. I, I've been running this kind of event for 10 years at the SMC. I don't know if Tom agrees, he's nodding. Um, and, and that is definitely the best panel of scientists. I, that is just all the messages were, were fantastic stories, funny, passionate, inspiring. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. Well done. And to Marie, to Marie. <laughs> right, you may leave now. <laughs> I don't know if you want to stay sitting rather than all. You may as well stay sitting here, I think. Dick. That's, I've been wondering that all day. We're on the left. Over wine, someone's got to explain that picture. Um, can I just invite up um, to the, the podium Professor Eugene Kennedy? Uh, Eugene is a physicist. He is the Secretary for Science here at the Royal Irish Academy and wants to say a few words.
Thanks very much uh, indeed. It's my pleasure to say a few words on, uh, to, to you today on behalf of the Academy. <coughs> I've attended a good part of the session. Indeed, I, I found it fascinating with very strong messages, I think, for all, for all of us. And one of the impressive things, too, is if you look through the list of attendees, it's really for a very, very wide spectrum. So I think great congratulations to the conveners. I think uh, the point is very well made today that the need to communicate science effectively and therefore interestingly uh, to the public is, is ever more pressing because of the growing need for the growing involvement of science and technology in today's world and all the implications for the future. And the public does have an appetite, I think, for stories well told. And from, as a physicist's point of view, if you remember, maybe this was mentioned in the very early part of the conference, I don't know, I wasn't quite at the early part, but the Large Hadron Collider and the ongoing search for the Higgs. I mean, that's a worldwide press. Even more into was the neutrinos faster than light. And uh, it may not be the most scientifically correct story, but I'd, in my own personal experience, many people ask me about science, about that particular story. And so sometimes a story, it may not be the best and most correct story, but it can stimulate, stimulate a lot of other conversations. So in that way, you know, you get a leverage effect. And it gives people an opportunity to, to explain the, the science a little bit more effectively. I think the other point that I would like to, to emphasize too is uh, communication science is very important for young people. I think uh, it, there's an international concern with numbers going into science and engineering mathematics courses. And I think discoveries of science are really a great way to engage the young. And I was at a marvelous public uh, talk lately by Bill Phillips, Nobel laureate for low temperature physics. And he went around scattering liquid nitrogen in the audience. And it, 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 it it underlined a point he made, which is scientists are oftentimes people who don't grow up. <laughs> partly, partly, he says, because look at the kids. They're curious. When he scattered the liquid nitrogen, all the kids were rushing in to see what it was, whereas the adults tended to, to, to go back. So sometimes curiosity. And in fact, that's, it's hugely important for young kids to get strong messages through the media because we're very aware that attitudes towards science and towards green science have developed when you're young. And uh, the Academy has recently set up a science education committee to hopefully, uh, you know, uh, contribute to debate and policy in this area. The last point I make in terms of the motivation, and it's been mentioned, is public expenditure and research. I think uh, is we're all very uh, know in Ireland, Science Foundation Ireland, Enterprise Ireland, Health Research Board, Higher Education Authority, the Minister, Sherlock and Quinn, they keep hammering the message, tell us what you've done. Why? Because if we don't hear about the achievements, the continuum support for funding for research, will, will, it could dry up. And they're looking for good stories. The politicians need good stories to convince their cabinet members that you should keep uh, funding science. Uh, so I think links between media people and, uh, and, uh, and the scientists by events like this is, is terrific. And uh, geosciences is clearly one we're going to have ongoing. We've heard of fracking and the water issues, future energy needs there'll be a continual need to inform the public in, a, in, a, in a, an interesting and well-balanced way, as far as you can, I think, uh, of that. So I'd like, therefore, to pay tribute to the organisers and supporters, the Geological Survey of Northern Ireland, Science <coughs> Media Centre, Britain, Geological Survey of Ireland, the Institute of Geologists in Ireland, and all the panellists who have given their time so freely. I think Minister Rabbit had intended to be here, and I think sends his best wishes. He wasn't able to make it. Special thanks to Marie Cowan of the Geological Survey of Northern Ireland for pulling the, the whole event together. And thanks also, I think, to Academy staff members, particularly Caroline McCormack and uh, uh, Rebecca Gageby and others. I would, and maybe it's mentioned earlier, I apologise, but 
this year is the European City of Science year. I don't know whether I got a mention. No, not yet. No, well, no, well then. Well done. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, okay, well let me mention that. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, the, I'm not speaking. I'm speaking in my own personal capacity. But there's a there's a week long event happening in July, and it's the uh, European Science Open Forum. They're expecting about 500 delegates. There's one whole day about policy, you know, and there's uh, <coughs> topics on every, and geosciences will be featured in the geosciences committee here. The academy have some uh, events featuring that. But it's a big event, multiple Nobel laureates, key- keynote speakers, you know, this What is Life uh, lecture bin. So it's a great opportunity. for. So if you haven't registered already, it's a, an opportunity to come back to Dublin for those visitors to really, uh, really engage. And that's a lot. There's science communication sessions in that as well. Uh, I'd like to maybe also bring you some sad news uh, today. Many of you may know already that Mr. Paddy Buckley, Executive Secretary in the Academy for almost 20 years, passed away uh, this morning uh, after a long illness. And I'd like to pay tribute to his long and effective leadership in the Academy and to express our deepest sympathy to his family, his friends, and his Academy colleagues who were greatly saddened by his untimely passing. And maybe I'd like you to note just a, a brief moment of silence to honor his his, uh, memory and to to remember Paddy. Okay, just before passing over to to, uh, Fiona, uh, once again, I took three words away from this uh, (laughs) stories, relationships, and visuals, and as a physicist, uh, you know, a good diagram, I think I remember you, Dick, saying at another communications science forum saying, if you get a good photograph, and I always remember the iconic image, the first photograph from space of the Earth. It's been re... In fact, you know, images can be a huge, a terrific framework to hang a story on, and that's what it's about, telling stories. And I would hope that the relationships and the introductions between the scientific community and the media community will bear fruit into the future. Uh, so, welcome back, uh, Fiona, for her wrap-up. And in doing so, would I ask you to congratulate Fiona on her excellent sharing of today's session. Thank you. I'm conscious that I'm now uh, standing between you and a glass of wine. Um, as someone who drank a little too much last night, I need hair of the dog. So uh, I'll be very brief in my comments. Um, I hope you've enjoyed your flirtation. <clears throat> this afternoon, and I hope you've been convinced to engage positively with the media. Um, I think we as a society have some very, very, very big decisions to make about ways forward. You know, do we go down the route of nuclear power? Do we even start researching geoengineering in case we fail to reduce those emissions? Do we opt for shale gas with all, with all the possible problems? And I just think that we are going to debate these as a society. The media will have their view, politicians, NGOs, protest groups, campaigners, but none of them will have your expertise. And I think you guys have something to bring to this party that is critical. You know, you have a certain respect for truth, a certain respect for accuracy, a real belief in evidence-based policy, and we have to hear from you. You know, as, as Tom said earlier, if we have a debate on GM and scientists speak and, and people say no to GM, that's fine. You know, we're not about an outcome. We don't want shale gas. We don't. What we want is for the public and policymakers to base their decisions on having heard from the best possible experts and on the best possible evidence. 
So, you know, when you are asked to do that interview with all the risks um, and all the scary things, please do consider engaging. Um, we have a database now of 2,000 experts. We would absolutely love you to join it, um, you know, and we will call you. I'm already planning to recruit several of the scientists I've heard to get on our database. So please do join it. We never, ever, ever give your names directly to journalists. We will always call you and make sure you're happy and comfortable and tell you what the interview's about. We take no for an answer all the time. Um, so please join the database. <coughs> also look at our website, which has got resources on it, so kind of handy guides to communicating science in a nutshell and all kinds of things on there that will help you. We, we support scientists. We don't just throw you onto programs like Newsnight or the Today program with no support or training. So, so do use those. Um, also, do come to, to London occasionally. You know, we have got some amazing journalists. We invite all of the um, international agencies like Reuters, Bloomberg, AP. Um, as I think Ian was talking about, he didn't mention that he'd come to London to, to launch that at the Science Media Centre that then got all over the world. We are a centre. We, we get the journalists in. So please do occasionally, if you've got a great story, um, get on a plane or, or get on the boat and come and launch something at the Science Media Centre. We would love to have you guys. Uh, you're fantastic experts. These are important issues. So please do come over occasionally and, and talk to our journalists as well. Uh, I'm now going to say thank you to everybody who's invited us over. Tom and I have had a brilliant uh, time in Dublin, uh, hoping to have a, another good night tonight. Fantastic meeting you all, uh, and great to hear from the journalists and everyone earlier. So thanks, Marie, for organising it really brilliantly. Um, and over to Pat. Thanks. Maybe I'll just move out to this mic. So I think the afternoon has, has really flown by, and, and to me it's really been a, a very informative uh, and a very interesting uh, and most of all a, a most enjoyable afternoon uh, and I think I've certainly learned uh, quite a lot from it. Um, I said right at the outset uh, that one of the objectives uh, of the, uh, the uh, Academy's committee uh, is to highlight the geoscience sector and we set out as an aspiration or a couple of aspirations for, to, for this afternoon to, be, uh, to, to build capacity to communicate and I think we've certainly done that. And uh, to have an opportunity to, to network with the media. And I think we've had that opportunity and hopefully we will over the next hour uh, network uh, even more so. And I think we have been extraordinarily fortunate uh, to have uh, the tremendous insight from the, the journalist panel, from uh, Dick and, and David and Tom and Mike and also Clive and Tom. And I think they, they've really given us a, a tremendous insight into how uh, their industry works. And to some extent, it's, I suppose, a little bit uh, like, um, uh, and I think one of the previous speakers said it, it's, it's telling a story, uh, or it's almost making a film. Uh, and the geologists, we're the props and we're the actors, but the, the journalists are really the directors. And I think uh, no film or no story can be told without having the two sides. So hopefully we can, we can mesh them together uh, even better. But certainly this has been the start of that process. Um, I'd like to thank uh, my, my colleagues on the scientist panel. Um, uh, I, I enjoyed uh, listening to, to every one of us and uh, uh, lot, lots of interesting stories. Uh, and hopefully uh, the next time we have uh, one of these events, we'll have another lot of people from, from the next generation um, uh, because this is something that uh, I think all of us need to, to get involved with. So thanks to, to journalists, uh, thanks to the scientific panel, um, uh, thanks also to Fiona for, for running an extremely good ship. Um, uh, you, you, you told us when to shut up and uh, you enticed the, uh, the questions and I think you did a super job. And we really are very privileged uh, that uh, the Science Media Centre uh, made this 
the, the first visit uh, to Ireland, either, either uh, north or south. Um, uh, thanks also to the Academy for uh, this uh, fantastic uh, venue. Um, I think it's been a, a really super uh, uh, place. Um, but uh, particularly, uh, major thanks to, uh, to Mari. Uh, Mari Cowan has put together this event uh, almost single-handed. It's easy for me to stand up and say thanks very much to everybody, and it was wonderful to have everybody along. Mari was the one who had to make the phone calls. She was the one who had to entice people to come <coughs> along. 